the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Thursday, October the 13th, 2022, in the year of our Lord. On October 13, 2010, rescuers in Chile, using a missile-like escape capsule, pulled 33 men one by one up to fresh air and freedom 69 days after they were trapped in that collapsed mine. They were a half mile below the surface half mile underground. I don't know, man. I, I don't know if I could, <laughs> I, I suppose I could maintain my insanity there or my sanity. Um, but locked underground for 69 days, a half a mile deep. That's remarkable to say the least. Today in 1775, the United States Navy had its origins as the Continental Congress ordered the construction of a naval fleet. Today, in 1792, the cornerstone of the Executive Mansion, later known as the White House, it was laid by President George Washington during a ceremony in the District of Columbia. Today, in 1932, President Herbert Hoover, Chief Justice Charles Evans Hughes, they laid the cornerstone for the U.S. Supreme Court building in Washington. Today, in 1943, Italy declared war on Germany, its one-time Axis partner. Today in 1974, longtime television host Ed Sullivan, the Ed Sullivan Show. He died in New York City. He was 73 years old. I never got to see Ed Sullivan very often. I mean, not almost not at all. Not because he was off limits. Our church had Sunday night church, and I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, he was on on Sunday night. And I always kind of wanted to watch that show, and I got to watch it a few times. But, boy, I'll tell you, we were a church-going family. We were Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night. My dad was uh, on the board of deacons or elders, and they had meetings in between. And, I mean, it was just pretty much church all the time. But look how great—no, I'm kidding. I— uh, I, I'm thankful for my upbringing, and uh, our families, both Marjorie's and my families, were Christians. They had a long history of Christians and in the ministry, and a number of people in my family were in the ministry, and so uh, we had a very strong Christian upbringing, for which I am grateful. <clears throat> but it doesn't matter at the bottom line whether we are raised in a Christian home or not. What matters is whether we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I've known people who have grown up, there was this black kid, he was a football player, and he got he accepted Christ, he got saved, he started coming to our church, the church I pastored, and uh, the one in, in Portland. And uh, he uh, was just so enthused, and as I learned more about him and got to know him, uh, I, I discovered that his mother was a, was a prostitute, in the ghettos of Miami, Florida. 
And uh, he didn't know, he, he'd barely heard of Jesus Christ as a real person. He knew it was a swear word, but he didn't, he didn't attach it really to a person other than he had heard something about him being a person that lived somewhere else at another time. But his mother sometimes when she'd go on calls as a prostitute would take him and he would kind of wait um, in another room or in the hallway or in the room somewhere or whatever. I mean, that was it was an abject, it was a, a spiritual poverty kind of upbringing. And yet when he found Jesus Christ, along with some of his other football player friends, um, his life was dramatically changed. So his upbringing did not come to bear on his life. So while Christian upbringing, raising your child in the church, certainly has an abundance, an abundance of benefits. The bottom line is, what about Jesus Christ? What have you done with him? And I am grateful that in my upbringing, I not only was taught how to go to church all the time, but I was taught that I, not my parents or grandparents or great-grandparents, but I needed to decide what I was going to do with Jesus Christ in my life. And I accepted him as my personal Savior as a result of being led to him by very fine Christian people that we were around in our church, growing up church, and in my family. My wife's story is very similar to that. Grateful for it. Midterm ballots will start hitting mailboxes across Washington by the end of next week. They're mailing out 4.8 million registered ballots to 4.8 million registered voters who will have until November 8th to weigh in on federal, state, and local races. They are saying this morning, the 18-day voting period officially begins October 21st. This is true in other states as well, but Washingtonians will have until the end of the month to register or update their information online by mail. In-person registration is possible in Washington up until the polls close at 8 p.m. on Election Day. I'm just hoping they don't find another 4 million people that need ballots somehow, some way. We're not going to talk about that today, but it is... It does come to mind as we approach these important elections. All elections are important, but these very impactful elections. The drop boxes will be showing up soon around the neighborhoods. Man, be sure to vote. Wherever you live, wherever you are, be sure to vote. There's an interesting uh, story out of a hospital. I want to share that with you just for a few minutes this morning. It's a Harvard-affiliated children's hospital in the in New England, in Boston area. And it's, uh, it's making a wild claim, but it's being taken seriously, and that's the only reason that I mention it. If it wasn't being taken seriously by the culture, I wouldn't mention this because it's bizarre. I mean, it's, it's bizarre. Keep in mind now, this is not a professor at Harvard. This is a Harvard-affiliated children's hospital. And they're saying that... <laughs> that kids can know they're transgender before before they come out of the... forgot to turn off a machine in the studio this morning. I just did now. This hospital is saying that kids can know before coming out of the womb that they're transgender. They had put up a video 
and they've now deleted it because they got so much pushback, this Boston hospital. But they were saying that, that although most kids know they are transgender around the age of puberty, many know well before being born. A hospital is saying this. Some of the patients, so some of the, most of the patients, they say, may have in, in the clinic, know, they know their gender. They usually, that usually comes around the age of puberty. But a good portion of children, I'm quoting them, do, do know as early as seemingly from the womb adding that they will usually express their gender identity as very young children, some as soon as they can talk. Kids know very, very early. The hospital is facing some heat now, as you can imagine, hopefully, and as you can imagine, after being accused of rushing under 18-year-olds into life-altering sex change surgery. This sex change surgery is becoming quite an industry in America, and I am sad to say, but I am not overstating that there are hospitals now that are rushing to do these surgeries because it is very, very, very enriching to the hospital. They may say phrases like, I am a boy, I am a girl, this Dr. Kerry McGregor says in this video that they had put up. It was, in fact, it was on YouTube, and then it, they pulled it real quick. And they they're saying the hospital has recently come under fire after it was reported that they performed these gender-affirming care surgeries on minors. And it's the website, the website now says that only adults 17 and up can receive the treatments, but they've been doing that to children much, much younger. There's more to the story, but you get the point. I, f- I found it to be not surprising, unfortunately, but troubling. The Washington Post came out with this story just a couple of days ago, and they were worried that there are too many Catholic hospitals. I'm not a Catholic, and most of you that listen to this program know that. But they're worried, the Washington Post, Jeff Bezos' oracle, they're worried that there are too many Catholic hospitals in the country. The reason there are too many Catholic hospitals in the country is because Catholic hospitals are limiting reproductive care across the U.S. I'm quoting them. What did this newspaper mean by reproductive care? I've said it a thousand times on this program, I, I would be sure, over the last 10 years. What they mean when they say reproductive care is abortion. That's what they're talking about. That's their little code word. They've been using that for a long time, but there's new words evolving all the time that mean something different than what they say because they don't want you to come back and say, I mean, not you but or me, but somebody, the news or whatever, and say, well, you said that Catholic hospitals are a problem for abortion or whatever. They're very careful that they, they use these pre-selected words and it, it Kamala Harris, Vice President Harris, is is kind of the queen of that. She just spews words out of her mouth when she talks. In fact, even the media calls her speeches or talks word salad. There's just, I mean, it's just a dump of words. And the brightest among us sat back and said, what did she say? Well, the answer is nothing. And that's what they do. But they put these words out there, and in this case, a little code word, and when they start talking about reproductive care across the U.S., that means abortion on demand. And, of course, that has been uh, upset, that cart for sure. But the subhead to the story in the Washington Post says, 
quote, religious doctrine restricts access to abortion and birth control and limits treatment options for miscarriages and ectopic uh, pregnancies. Well, that's very disingenuous because that, that isn't really what their concern is. Their concern is abortion. They have a reason to be worried, I suppose, because Catholic systems now control one in seven U.S. hospital beds. I looked into this a little bit. I was interested. It's requiring religious doctrine, they say, to guide treatment, often to the surprise of the patients. In other words, a patient ends up in a Catholic hospital, and they're surprising the patients that this hospital has this religious theme about it. Catholic systems, they say, are in too many hospitals in America. So what do they want to do about it? Do they want to close them? Well, they don't quite get to what they want, except they don't want Catholics running hospitals anymore in America. This one guy is saying, um, he's talking about how the, uh, the, the respect for human life is articulated in unethical ways in Catholic hospitals, refusing someone an abortion, basically is what they're saying, refusing someone an abortion who has a right to get an abortion. And on and on it goes. The point they make is that Catholic hospitals get about $48 billion a year. I mean, all of them in, in America, about $48 billion a year in taxpayer money, but they get it from Medicare and Medicaid. And again, I'm not defending Catholic hospitals. I'm not a Catholic, but for goodness sakes, Catholic hospitals are nice. The ones I've been in, I mean, yeah, there's a religious tone in most of them. The, again, I haven't been in the hospital but a couple times in my life, but I've visited hundreds and hundreds of people. And I've been, in, as a pastor, and I've been into a lot of Catholic hospitals. And there is certainly a religious theme in the hospital, but, I mean, is that going to make somebody get sick? I mean, they're in there because they are sick. They need help. It's just there is no institution in America that is above being attacked by the left. And that's what's going on with this in this matter here. They forget, and, and some of the things they're attacking in this story, it's a long article, I just wanted to touch on it this morning. One of the things that they're touching on, they, they forget, they say the Catholic hospitals has instituted these rules, and they go through some of the, the rules or the standards that these quote-unquote Catholic hospitals are uh, adhering to. But I don't know if this guy at the Post who wrote this story is that uninformed or just thinks we're not smart enough to get it? I don't know. But he's he's not quoting Catholic hospitals. In one of the paragraphs in this story in the Washington Post, he's actually quoting kind of a revised or kind of a kind of a a loose version of the Hippocratic Oath. I will not give to a woman a pursery to produce abortion, says the Hippocratic Oath. I mean that was 400, I think it was 400 years B.C. that that became known or became, it came into existence. So a lot of what they're saying, I mean, they're, they're challenging history of medicine, of science, as they like to say, 400 years before Christ or about 400 years before Christ. I, I mean, there is no institution, there is no accepted uh, truth that they won't challenge or more so try to destroy. 
So they're after these after these hospitals. And here's what here's the bottom line of what they're saying. They're saying steps must be taken to restore patients' rights in the face of federal policies and court decisions that give preference to the rights of institutional health providers to deny care they deem objectionable. The report says, quote, patients must be protected from discrimination in access to health care and help to obtain needed reproductive health services. That's abortion. I mean, I wish, man, I wish they'd be honest about that. They won't be. But reproductive health services, LGBTQ inclusive care and legal end of life treatment option. So they are the reason they're upset at the Catholics is one, they have too many hospital beds. I mean, one in seven is a lot. Uh, so they're upset about that. They, they said it's not right and something needs to be done about it. And the reason that they don't like Catholic hospitals is not because they don't like Catholics necessarily, but it's because of, one, they can't get uh, access to uh, reproductive health care. They can't get abortion on demand. Number two, LGBTQ inclusive care. They can't get these three-year-olds or whatever in there for transgender operations and surgeries and three they can't they can't practice or they won't practice assisted suicide that's our world as we see it today i'll tell you according to a survey of churchgoers the more americans attend church regularly the more politically and culturally conservative they become This is a timely topic. Election Day is looming, and it is a large election day in every state all across America. I want to talk to you a little bit about that today. According to polling figures, white churchgoers show the biggest increase from 19% of non-churchgoers who identify as conservative to 65% if they attend church at least once weekly. They tend toward or become conservative or are conservative. The increase is true among blacks and Hispanics and Asians and all other races. That tells me that Christianity is not a white religion, although there are those that say that. Christianity is not about the color of your skin. It's about the condition of your soul. It is God's provision for our sin. It doesn't matter whether you are red or yellow, black or white to God. Black churchgoers who attend weekly are more conservative than non-attenders by about 15 points. This Alex McFarlane, he's a, an apologist. He was writing about that this week, a couple of days ago. And he said he's not surprised by the figure since sitting under biblical Sunday morning preaching change, changes lives. It does, if it's biblical. He said you're going to hear about God. He says you're going to be challenged to amend your life in the light of God and his word. Well, that's true. It's true the most conservatives support and vote for Republican candidates over Democrats. But that's happening because Republican office holders understand America's unique founding in history, which is wedded to the Bible and Christianity. The Democrats try to use Christianity. I'm thinking Nancy Pelosi, President Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris, the Protestant of the three. They try to use Christianity to drive home their non-Christian, 
absolutely in defiance of Christianity kinds of policies. That's the difference. A true Christian believes and practices in their life what they say they believe, biblical teaching, to the best of their ability. That doesn't save them. But that is the lifestyle that evolves when we accept Christ and our lives are transformed by the power of God. These people, these people recognize that there's some usefulness in Scripture, so they pull verses out of context and sometimes make them up. They do. I mean, Nancy Pelosi has said the Bible says so-and-so several times over just in the last two or three years. And what she was saying, the Bible said, it says nowhere. Even leftist Bible scholars say, well, no, we don't, I don't, we don't think there's a verse in the Bible that says that, when there, in fact, is not a verse in the Bible that says that. So they try to use the Word of God to, to promote a, a secular agenda, while the people of God, the people that have accepted Christ and have a personal relationship with God, and this is very important, because I'm not just talking about religion, I'm talking about biblical Christianity and how it drives people's actions in the culture. The degree to which religious people are wedded to the Republican Party is only because of the degree to which the Republican Party is standing for things that are biblical and constitutional. I've said that many times on this program. I remember Mike Pence, when he was, when he was, they were running for the presidency and the vice presidency, he and Trump, he often said, he said, I am first and foremost a Christian, secondly, I'm a husband, and thirdly, I'm a Republican. And I, I always appreciated that, and I've heard other politicians say the same thing. Mike Huckabee, I've heard him say that. That's true to the biblical Christian. Absolutely. The Republican Party is a tool. It's not something that like we are like committed to. And I think sometimes we have to be careful we don't get too committed to the Republican Party. I'm as committed to that as they are to me, to the things that are most important the things that I would die for, Christianity, the Lord's word, God's word. And I think most Christians generally agree with that. It's not like, boy, I'm a Republican no matter what. And No, it's I'm a Christian, and the Republican Party and their platform and generally their actions, but not always, are closest to what I believe as a Christian. Therefore, I will vote in that way, most of the time. That's where most of us are coming from. But as far as the Democratic Party, polls going back two decades, 20 years, have documented its supporters and voters embracing secular beliefs and abandoning religious faith. In fact, it, the polls find that the Democrat Party generally will reject and even fight against basic biblical principles and values. There was a July report, it was called the Survey Center on American Life. It found the percentage of Democrats who say religious faith is important to them dropped from 65% in 1998 to 43% in the latest sample. President Joe Biden, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, they both claim to be devout Catholics, but their policies, their actions, often stand in direct contradiction. Same as I mentioned a few minutes ago, Vice President Harris, same thing. But among self-identified Republicans, those who embrace their religious faith still hover between 60 to 65% after these same two decades, the last 20 years. 
And among views that the Democrats, the survey said they disagree with the premise that marriage makes society stronger and more of them are having fewer children or none at all, despite displaying their ignorance about sociology and human history. Almost half of those Democrats have at least a four-year college degree and one in four possess postgraduate degrees. So it isn't that they're not educated, the Democrats, they are, more so than Republicans, generally speaking. But marriage and family is ground zero in this political polarization of the culture. American society is experiencing a dramatic decline in marriage rates. There are some sociologists that are very um, concerned about this. They're worrying out loud about it. They're writing about it. I don't have time to touch on any of that today, but I've been following what they're saying, and they are concerned. We are not replacing ourselves in America. When a nation does not replace itself with birth rate, it is definitely in decline, and they're concerned about it. Today, Americans who have never been married represent a growing share of the Democratic coalition. 26% of Democrats have never been married, up 9 percentage points since 1999. Unmarried Americans make up a much smaller part of the Republican Party. 14% of Republicans today report never having been married. In contrast, 58% of Republicans are currently married. My point is simply that there are two prevailing worldviews out there, a Christian worldview and a secular worldview. There's two basic trains of thought regarding the humanity currently operating in America. One possesses a healthy awareness of original sin, that's Christian. The other does not believe in sin at all, that's the secular. Christianity believes human behavior starts with the heart. The secularist says human behavior is determined by external forces, like education and income. And you see that in their policies all the time. Christianity understands human reason is twisted by sin, while secularism believes that human reason is the path to progress. How many times have you heard the word progress come out of the mouths of the left? All the time. Christianity considers a person to be spiritual, be a spiritual being made just a little lower in the image and likeness of God. While secularism thinks that a human is an animal, a product of purely material chance, random, I, I mean, it's just, how do they believe evolution? I don't know. But devoid of common purpose. The former knows submission to God's moral laws, the only path to true liberty and civilized order. The other, the secular worldview, insists only freedom from moral law can create equality and now equity. The first worldview requires Christian religion to inform cultural norms, traditional family ties, personal, godly, piety, living, civilization. That's what causes a civilization to thrive. The secular worldview needs to centralize all of the power to create new norms to create a godless utopia. That's what's going on in our culture today. And when you vote, that is really how you're voting. Whether you articulate it or not, that's what this is really all about. It's not really about Republicans or Democrats. As Ronald Reagan said, it's about up or down. And we want to be voting up. Founding Father Patrick Henry said it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded, not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, people of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom of worship here in America.
Very true. But he said this, Patrick Henry, it is when people forget God that tyrants forge their chains. Hey, thank you for being with me today. It's always a privilege, always a pleasure, and thank you for your support. We need it. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. I'll see you right here tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.